What's up, everybody? It's Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I've got Jake Payne, our editor-in-chief. And together, this is our What's the Headline podcast. What's happening, man? Yo, man. Uh, just another another day in paradise. How about you? Is it paradise, though, really? Uh, you know what? It's good. It's good, man. I, I feel accomplished. Um, a lot of good energy in the air. I'll make it paradise. How about that? That's good. That's good. It's Friday, too. You know, typically we record these on Sunday. But we're switching things up um, for a bunch of reasons. Uh, and let, let us know if you, we're going to start to do these on Saturday. So let us know if you guys like the times better. Uh, we figure folks are off from work and got a little bit more free time to kind of kick around. But let us know for sure. And obviously, if you like what you hear, please, please hit that like button, subscribe, notification, whatever uh, platform that you're listening to us. But welcome. Yeah, so this is episode number 102. Can you believe it? Wow, I know. It's crazy because this is, believe it or not, um, it's right around now is like our third anniversary, uh, which is a weird thing to say. But um, yeah, this this podcast was birthed out of quarantine and isolation and a very um, interesting pivot from Ambrosia for Heads. And you and I, much like Too Short, just couldn't stay away. And I remember you hit me because neither one of us are, are, are like, you know, people that ever pursued podcasts this way before and could you have imagined then that a hundred plus episodes later we would still be here with a growing audience and some really uh great interviews great insights hopefully and in, in coverage you go with uh too short i'll go with jay i can't leave rap alone the game needs me so absolutely i could i could imagine <laughs> that, <man. laughs> yeah no but i'm glad i'm, I'm glad i'm grateful you know I, I i believe we bring something different to the table I'm glad that we have people who appreciate that. Um, we've had some great discourse with people who listen over the years. Definitely encourage that. So, man, yeah, I'm I'm happy, man. And it's weeks like this that uh, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, I wanted to ask you real quick, and, and do not invoke my mother's name, please. But do you have do you have a favorite <laughs> Wait, moment? You got to start that out differently, man. Like... <laughs> no, because any chance you get, you talk about the episode. It was a holiday year end. And my mom made an unexpected cameo. Uh, it was amazing. It was amazing. I was home for the holidays. But no, I was going to ask, short of that, do you have um, a favorite moment or two from these 100 plus? Excluded nobody. All right. Uh, <laughs> man, I would say um, I would say three uh, or four. Like, you know, interesting. So uh, and for different reasons. So one is... Um, the versus Big Daddy Kane, KRS one. That was one where we stayed up and like did it real time afterwards. And it's something about doing something in a moment like that. You know, you and I like to prep and be prepared on all things. But sometimes when you freestyle something, uh, it delivers more uh, results and you feel more locked in. Um, the Kendrick one uh, that we did, I thought was great because we got to do a deep dive into an, an album that ended up winning best rap album and was, you know, I know near and dear to both of us uh, last year. Um, the Slaughterhouse one was interesting too, because we know so many of the players have interacted with them and just dissecting that whole thing and providing context and like history and really kind of laying it out in a way for folks to understand is I think basically representative of what we try to do with AFH generally and with this podcast as well. And I say the Lupe and Royce one um, as well for, for the same reasons, you know, uh, really laying down 
why these two lyrical giants who were together on a podcast, you know, were suddenly kind of had a war of words, a war, war of words, doing so in a way that wasn't salacious or anything like that, but explaining to people. So how about you? Those are four great ones. Um, I would echo all of those. I really enjoyed um, the similar for similar reasons. The 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 episode we did just literally minutes after uh, Dipset versus the Locks. Um, just just fun to you know. You and I are both sports fans, and and those feel like real time recaps. And obviously, that was such an enthusiastic night. Great performance. Um, and I feel that that energy carried into that episode. So I would add that one to the mix. And then just one other, I really enjoyed our conversation with evidence from dilated peoples, which doesn't even need to be said anymore. Evidence has, has, has built such a strong solo career on his own, but we have done some great interviews over the years. Um, every one of those conversations I hold dear, but that one, just what we were talking about, some real life stuff. That's one that I, I kind of. That, that jersey's in the rafters so yeah we've had some great conversations one uh that was i was actually kind of nervous for I, I don't know if you could tell but the mc8 one because mm. dude I've, I've i've grown up listening to his music and you know west coast is probably the coast i lean toward the most in terms of my listening and eight was like a staple so having him on the pile was really really uh amazing for me but yeah man shout out to everyone who's joined us it's been been some great conversations no doubt, no doubt. So this week, speaking of great conversations, a lot of things happened. Um, where would you like to begin? Yeah, I mean, I guess starting with kind of an explanation of why we have decided to do this on Fridays now. You know, we've seen that uh, throughout the week, the cycle, just chasing the cycle, Jake and I have this conversation behind the scenes a lot, becomes very, very like tiring and, and sometimes leads to like, you know, chasing clicks and like, you know, being in a place I don't think either one of us have ever wanted to be. I think though that, you know, when, when I watch certain shows that do wrap ups, the ability to sit and digest and watch how the cycle evolves and the nuances that emerge allows you to present like a better story sometimes. So we're able to sit and take account of things that are going on, but give a bit more context and analysis to it. So this week uh, has been insane. And um, to your question, I think we start with, we start with so much focuses on the 50th anniversary of hip hop this year that I think it's right to start with a, a list that tried to capture the 50 greatest MCs. And we talked about this a little on a podcast, uh, Billboard and Vibe did a joint list of the top 50 MCs, not just 50, but in order. And, um, you know, Jay-Z was number one, Kendrick was number two, um, and, and so on. Uh, you can go back and check out our other podcast if you want a detailed breakdown of that. But one of the the artists who was on it, who I believe was what, number 47? Number 48. Number 48. Um, number 48 was Grandmaster Melly Mel. And Grandmaster Melly Mel was recently on a podcast, uh, The Art of Dialogue, where he talked about the list and uh, not only his placement, but had some very, very, um, uh, let's say, uh, candid conversations about like various people on the list and his assessment of those MCs. And, you know, I think it matters because Melly Mel, going back to that, to that historical context, for me, first of all, was my first favorite rapper. Like, uh, he was my first GOAT. I grew up, um, you know, I was um, a freshman when Run DMC dropped in 1984. 
So was very well aware of the message when it came out real time. There was a time in life and probably now, probably no 80% of the words to the message, white lines, um, step off, uh, World War III and Beat Street, like, you know, pretty much all of Mel's like, you know, gigantic songs from back then. And you could not tell me nothing. Nobody was better than Melly Mel, right? Uh, so uh, he calls himself in this interview uh, the first GOAT MC, and I'm not mad at that at all. Um, so I think we start with that conversation. But first, I, wanted, I want to ask you as someone who's younger, when did you first come, come into contact with Melly Mel? Um, you know, have you met him personally, interviewed him, anything like that? Yeah, I have I have spoken to Mel to answer your first question. I would say um similar age to you. Uh you know, I was when I was in junior high school, um it was 25 years ago and hip hop was celebrating its 25th anniversary. And I don't know if you remember this, you may have even been working at Viacom at the time, but MTV really did some special programming. Um some mini documentaries, there were ciphers that I believe involved um I want to say some of the QN5 MCs and, you know, uh, there was just a lot of curation to help tell hip hop story, which was very much unfolding. And there was a lot of dedication towards records like the message and grandmaster flash and the furious five, which is Mel's group. And I will always maintain that the message for me is definitely all day long, top three hip hop song. I mean, that is cemented. It might be number one. And that record, which we continue to hear in different iterations, whether the chorus or the beat, at that same time in like 96, 97, 98, you had, you know, Puffy and Maze Can't Hold Me Down. Um, so that record was making its its kind of resurgence that way. And I've been obsessed ever since. And over the last 20, 21 years that I've been working in hip hop professionally, I have spoken to Mel once or twice. Um, oddly enough, he uh, he has a at the time he has a funny email has muscles in the email and in the early days of g chat i don't know did you ever use g chat yeah but like folks that i was communicating with when at the time i was a features editor at all hip-hop you would talk you know their their emails if they had a gmail would pop up and and melly mel was the first that i can remember like great mc that i remember communicating with on g chat and he's been nothing um but a gentleman and a legend to me. And one other thing I'll add is the first time I ever got listed for a concert was in 2000 and it was either 2002 or 2003 at SOBs for a Zulu nation anniversary party. And it was November, actually um, an artist that you and I, you know, are both, you know, very well acquainted and friendly with Jay period, I believe put me on the list and I was in New York for the night and I went to the show alone and Melly Mel got on at the end of the night and just every bit of as great of an MC then as he was in the 80s and as I believe he still is now when you see him. So, yeah, I mean, just infinite flowers for Melly Mel. Yeah, for sure. For sure. When we just saw him on that tribute uh, 50th anniversary, uh, for the for the Grammys, the 50th anniversary tribute. And he was yes. great. There too. I met him one time um, and actually we've got a video of this recorded him talking about the journey of the message and how um, Sylvia actually, he didn't think the record was going to work. And it was yeah. Sylvia Robinson who kind of insisted that they do it. And obviously it did what it did, but you can find that on our YouTube channel. Um, and I, you know, got a picture and like, you know, we exchanged contact information, everything. That was another moment for me to like, you know, have that with a legend. 
uh, you said the message you thought was, you know, top three, if not number one. Why is that? I just think because, you know, for me and, and you have to understand, I wasn't there. Um, I'm, I'm coming down the, the pike at 40 years old right now. I'm 39. And so I can't tell you about, you know, the live the live shows in the Bronx or in Harlem world or anything like that. But when you look at at rap that's pressed onto record, I look at a song like that and it it really just captures the struggle. It captures the passion, the pain, the circumstance, the environment. And I know there are other records of that time that do so. Um, but that record, I mean, you look at the chorus, you know, don't push me because I'm close to the edge. I'm trying like that is timeless. If you are having a stressful day, if you are just feeling pressure all around you, what better record? And then, you know, to understand what New York City, particularly the Bronx was going through, I mean, how emblematic of the times and circumstance that hip hop is born out of. So and I and shout out to the production and the music video, the whole nine, it, it truly is just a definitive moment to me in hip hop and one that always resonates. And I got chills um, recently, you know, watching Chuck D's Fight the Power, the, the docu-series that you and I spoke of on PBS, and they spend some time talking about that record in particular. And every time I hear it, it still just makes, you know, the hair on my arm stand up because it's that good of a song. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the production, I mean, and you talked about Diddy uh, repurposing it for Can't Nobody Hold Me Down. And and there's a hit on the radio now, Coyle Ray, um, you know, that, that takes that same beat. So it is now spanned she's 41 years that 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 beat uh, that's how tough the beat is um in terms of the substance of the lyrics to my knowledge or uh, you know it was the first conscious rap record it's certainly the one that performed at a mainstream level and before that rap was party music you know it started off in lot in the live medium right the, you know it was there before records and then Sugar Hill Gang and others captured it and put it on the mainstream. And we've done a podcast about even their rap records before that, before it was called rap. Uh, but there's kind of like put it in the mainstream. And this changed the direction of the subject matter and opened it up tremendously. Um, you know, so, okay, let, before we get into Mel's comments, let's talk about the Billboard list for a second and their placement of Mel. So the, the criteria... And I'm going to read this uh, verbatim from the Billboard article is, um, and they say in not any particular order, the following criteria, body of work slash achievements. So that's charted singles slash albums, gold, platinum certifications, right? Which you would expect uh, from Billboard, which is, you know, responsible for tracking that kind of stuff. Cultural impact slash influence, how the artist's work fostered the genre's evolution. That's number two, even though it's not in any order. Longevity, years at the mic, years at the mic. Lyric. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. 
So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Storytelling skills and flow, vocal prowess. So when you think about that list, um, so body of work achievements, I don't know what the message is certified, but I got to imagine it's multi-platinum, if not higher um, at this point. Cultural impact influence, how the artist's work fostered the genre's evolution. He literally uh, invented, or like, you know, a, a lot of people would say he was the inventor of conscious rap, you know, and so spawned the Kendricks, the Coles, the Lupes, the, you know, the, the evidence is that all the people that we talk about on AFH and have, have built an entire like body of work for 10 years around longevity years at the mic and so you know the message came out in 80 82 yeah yeah 82 and you know um i'd say melly and step off was i believe 1985 is 85 or 86 and shaka khan i feel for you another verse that i know was like 86 or so so like four years right um but that's biggie that's Pac, that's um Kane, Rakim, like, you know, in terms of like when they were at peak powers. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a that's a lot of people. Right. Um, lyrics, storytelling skills. The message is arguably one of, if not the greatest story ever told on wax. And to your point, I mean, you said 80 percent, which I think you're being modest. I, I think it would be close to the same for me. But I can think of very few songs. I mean, up there with with Juicy, um, you know, or, or California, like people by and large hip hop heads know most of if not all of the words to that song those lyrics are etched in stone for true hip hop heads of all generations absolutely and then flow vocal prowess like there is not a voice more powerful or distinctive than Melly Mel's right um LL's got that power Chuck D has that power i mean after that like it it gets it gets it gets then when you talk about that level of power, like he's the voice of God, Melly Mel. And so mm. when you factor that in, like, is there, is it, why in the world would he be number 48? There's a strong argument that Melly Mel, just based on influence alone, should be top five, certainly top 10. Number 48 to me feels uh, disrespectful, but what do you think? Yeah, I mean, you and I alluded to it um, on the podcast recently where we discussed that list. And, and you know, I'll, I said it then, I'll say it now. There's folks that contributed to that list that we know and respect. Absolutely. But I think I think one of the glaring oversights of that entire list, and there are a few of them, there's a, there's, there's, there's a few things they got right, but I think one of the big oversights is Melly Mel. And if, to, to be at number 48, that is three spots from off the list. Um, that is, in my opinion, disrespectful. Um, but also to your point, all day long, I think Mel deserves to be in the top 10. And, and let's we can talk gold and platinum, which is a skewed mechanism because of just the way the record industry has worked and how that neglects an artist from the early 80s on an independent label. But let's look at the fact that Melly Mel is one of the few uh, acts, hip hop acts that is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, with Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. That is huge. And if you were to do a list of greatest rock guitarists, um, how would you treat Chuck Berry? How would you treat Bo Diddley? I think there's there's definitely a, a ratio there. And this is a case where Billboard and Vibe got it very wrong. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, okay, no disagreement between us on that. 
Um, like I said, Melly Mel is my first favorite rapper. You know, after him was LL, and then it was Cube, or actually Big Daddy Kane, then it was Cube, then it was Pac, then it was Jay, and then it was Kendrick. And I wouldn't say these people displaced the people before them as much as it was an iteration for me and like, you know, for 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 points in my life. So Melly Mel is in my pantheon, right, of, of MCs, and I think for, for most people. That said, um, I think we can also speak to things that he says um, from a, a, a place that we believe to be objective, but, you know, constructive feedback, right? Uh, and so I want to talk about some of the things that, that he said on this list. So uh, let's first, let's talk about Jay-Z. So Jay-Z was number one on the list. I personally believe Jay is hip hop's goat. Um, I think that he has, for for so many reasons, um, you know, his sales like you know check like there's I, I think Drake and M are probably the only two who surpass him in those things. Um, you know his cultural impact, you know goes off records like he's uh, I think hip hop's first billionaire and um, you know has shown the way to mogul them. And the evolution that he's had, uh, the subject matter is incredible. His flow is impeccable. You've written pieces for AFH about like how he slowed it down and sped it up, depending on what the time uh, merited. Jay-Z, to me, checks all the boxes at an extremely high level. So I got no problem with him being number one. That said, I could see Drake at number one. I could see Pocket number one. I could, you know, I could see... Kendrick at number, depending on if you weighted some of these things more than than others, Eminem, like I could see anyone in the top 10 being number one, you can make a credible argument for it. Yeah. And I mean, I said it, if you were to ask me if I was responsible for that list, I would put Jay-Z at number one, just especially with the framework of that criteria. So despite what I said about Mel, that's one thing I think, and I agree with what you said on, on a lot of those names could be there, but I think that that's one of the things that Vibe and Billboard got right at least within their criteria yeah so you want to break down what he said about about jay yeah i mean the conversation again is with the art of dialogue and they have become what i would consider to be a competition of dj vlad and getting really interesting and salacious interviews with artists um that speak freely like that's just that's just the fact of the matter i believe if I'm not mistaken, some of the Keith Murray interviews of, of the last six months have come through them. So their format is creating a space for artists to say, you know, bold and real things. So these are Mel's words. He said, what would you consider, quote, greatness? Obviously, he, meaning Jay-Z, has his studio game down. Obviously, he sold the records. But now my point is, could he go up against Busta Rhymes? Could Busta Rhymes take Jay-Z, yes or no? I don't have no fear of getting on stage with anybody and crossing mics with anybody. Busta's a hard draw. That would probably be the hardest draw in the game. He's got all the intangibles. It's a certain thing that Busta Rhymes got that a lot of MCs don't got. When he's coming on that stage, if you're out in the crowd, you know something is about to happen. It ain't just the regular run of the mill. I can't wait for him to do so-and-so song. It's that magnetism. It's like a different level that all MCs don't have that he got. I'll ride with Busta. If you got that list in front of you, he asked, where is Busta on the list? And the answer is Busta was number 33. As you just said, Jay-Z is number one. Yeah. So um, before we get into that <laughs> comment, I want to yeah. talk about, I want to talk about, uh, I want to go back to the criteria again, because I think okay. one of the things that happens 
in this interview a lot that 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 leads to Mel's responses is there's kind of like a, a uh, mixing of criteria because everything he's talking about to me is stage presence is like uh, you know um, you know prowess you know that kind of thing um, and that's not part of the the Billboard criteria you know body of work cultural influence lyrics flow maybe that's vocal prowess. Uh, but like stage performance, like stage presence, ability to battle, those things that I think Mel is talking about are not part of this criteria. Right. And uh, I think that's kind of where it goes off track. Because listen, you and I have talked about Busta before. You know, when he did that VMA's um, performance in in 2021, right? It was there was no question. Like it was a, a drop the mic moment, and it went viral for us, and it basically took over the entire VMAs. Buster Rhymes is one of, if not the best performer in hip hop. Like super dynamic, and like always, always commands the stage. Last year, uh, Big Daddy Kane. I mean, another you know legend, uh, one of the goats, said that Buster Rhymes has the best flow in hip hop. Um, but again, that's flow. That's that's a that's its own kind of point. And you're making the point, and I agree with that. Mel is passionate about these rankings, but he might not be necessarily following or understanding that criteria at the top. Yeah. So so okay, put that aside. Right? Put the 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 criteria aside. What he's saying about Jay versus Busta in this context. I actually agree with that. I, I think that, you know, in terms of stage presence, if you put Jay-Z and Busta Rhymes on stage, Busta is going to be the one that uh, shines the most um, just from pure performance. Jay might outdo him from hits, but from presentation, Busta is going to be one. You got a, You got a problem with that? No, not at all. And, and I'll, I'll give you this caveat too. I, th- I would say the same is true of Red or Meth. Like, Jay is a great artist and I've gone to Jay-Z concerts in arenas and I've seen Jay in smaller venues, indoors and outdoors. Jay is a great concert because you know the words and because he's there and it feels like an event. Busta, you see something very different, just the way he occupies the stage, the way that he moves, so on and so forth. And I know Mel's making that point and you are too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, uh, him saying that him saying that Busta is a better performer than Jay, I, I agree with. But would you say that Busta is a better MC overall than Jay? I personally, uh, oh, go ahead. according to this criteria and Mel's criteria, let's make it interesting, right? Let's put them all in there. Put them all in there. And they're weighted however they're weighted. Who are you giving it to? I'm still going Jay. I'm still going Jay respectfully to Bus. I would not rank Busta at 33, even under the Billboard Vibe criteria. I think he deserves much more than that on on the longevity factor alone. Yeah. But I um, I'm gonna give I'm gonna I'm gonna be bold and real and say Jay. Yeah, I was gonna say the same thing. So um, scenario, which is when a lot of people like uh, found out about Busta was 92. Mm-hmm. Um, Leaders of the New School was a little bit before that. So Bust has been around for 30 plus years now. And yeah. uh, this guy has made like current gigantic hits in every single decade. We just ourselves reviewed his last album, Extension Level Event 2, in December of 2020 and called it a classic. It may have been the, 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 the most recent classic album. Um, and I think his best in his entire catalog, 30 years into his career. 
right? So um, when you talk about, a lot of people talk about longevity and they mean, oh, they're still around. People still know their songs. They're still touring. No, this guy is making great contemporary music that is at least as good as anything he's made in the past, right? So yeah. to your point, longevity alone, I think gets him in the top 20. Um, and again, when, when you start to get to certain numbers, like it becomes subjective and about taste. Uh, a lot of people would probably put him in top 10, put Black Thought in top 10 and so forth. But overall, all the criteria combined, yeah, I still give it to Jay just because of the catalog um, and, and his longevity as well. But his catalog is only paralleled by by Drake, in my opinion. So there's a thing I want to add, though, too, because as the media does and you and I, you, I mean, you made the point at the top of the podcast about chasing clicks. And, and you know, you and I have combined 50 years in this professionally, you know, in media. And specifically, I would say hip hop media, certainly my, you know, my years are that um, we live in a spin zone. And one of the things that's been frustrating is, you know, you see in this, this hallmark year for hip hop, you see one of the legends in a negative light. Um, and one thing I just want to say, because I haven't seen it said in, in 2002, one of the platforms that's really honored the founders and pioneers of hip hop is called the Foundation run by Jay Kwan, who does a lot of writing now for Rock the Bells. And Jay Kwan interviewed Mel, and he did the kind of the cool Modi ego trip thing of like, can you rate just on a 10 scale MCs? And he picked MCs from that were peers and contemporaries of Mel, as well as, you know, modern day MCs at that time. And, and Mel, and this is 2002, so maybe Jay has done things that changed that value. But it's important to say Mel gave him a nine out of 10. And I think that that's that's telling in your you see a headline um and sometimes i think good things that mel has said about jay might get lost in the sauce with it so i just want to add that yeah yeah no i love that i love that it's all about giving the full context you know and i think that we've talked about it but but mel says it too like he really hones in on what his criteria of an mc is and he says on an overall 360 of an mc the pen game the studio game the rap game but the stage presence, that's got to be in the equation. And absolutely, Busta's stage presence is better than Jay-Z. Absolutely. I mean, it's no denying that. Did you see where Busta is in that list? 33 now. It ain't 32 guys that can take the guy. That's my point. Now, if he's 33, it's not guys that going to say, I want to do Busta. I want Busta. I want to do the verses. Don't nobody want him. It ain't going to happen. He could call dudes out. It's not going to happen. The type of MC that Busta is, is more along the lines of what we was trying to do back in the day. You take your lunch pail to work, you go to work, and you work hard. So I know you love that comment, right? Yeah. But that, that to me says it all. That is how Melly Mel defines an MC. And so, of course, he's going to have problems with not only the ranking, but the characterizations of, of certain people. And, uh, you know, so he talks about Tupac, too. He talks about Tupac having greater impact than both Jay-Z or Biggie. Um, and yeah, OK, so you want to you want to talk about those quotes and then and like. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll come back to it. But he, he, this is Mel speaking. He said Tupac is a greater rapper than Biggie. And I would say the same thing for Jay-Z. Jay-Z has a better rap game than Tupac. Tupac's rap game, I'm not going to say is basic, but it's predictable. But he had more of a range of what he could say. I think Jay-Z has a better spit game. 
But to say that makes the better rapper, that is being judged on one criteria. I feel Tupac's imprint on the game is greater than Jay-Z. Jay-Z is a better rapper than Tupac. It's the same thing about Biggie. Biggie is a better rapper than Tupac. He continues, his imprint on the game was huge because things changed. All that thug life-ish, it came from him. If you change the landscape, that's greatness. In Jay-Z's position, it's harder to change the landscape because he's a billion-dollar dude. You're not going to have a thousand billion dollar dudes coming behind Jay-Z, but you did have a hundred guys that wanted to be like Tupac. That greatness is how he changed the game. So the interesting about thing about Tupac to me is that there's a reason why Tupac and Mel are both in my favorite MCs list, you know, because in many ways, I think Tupac is the nineties version of Melly Mel. And I think a lot of times we love that which represents us, you know? And so you talk about the messaging and Tupac is the guy who put all sorts of messages in his music, social, political, um, you know, revolutionary, you know, bucking back against the police, literally, um, you know, and party music, he, he had it all. You talk about power of voice, that's another person in the pantheon in terms of like just pure vocal prowess. And also you talk about playing style. Millie Mel's style was uh, very straightforward because that was before Rakim and Kane and, and people who were more multisyllabic in their delivery. So I see a lot of parallels between Melly um, Mel and Pac, which I think um, explains why he would have the impact or have the um, why he would feel that way about Pac. But also there's no denying that Tupac you know, she's uh, almost 30, like 28 years after his death or 27 years after his death, still one of the greatest icons, period, music, film, TV, whatever it is um, that has ever lived. Like you can find Tupac T-shirts in almost any country in the world. People know who he is, almost like they know Muhammad Ali or, you know, some sort of transcendent figure like that. I don't know that Jay has had that impact. I don't know that after a certain point, you can have that impact because to Melly Mel's point, it is iterative. You are building on things and the more things have been done, the harder it is to do something different. But would you say that, uh, Would you, do you agree with that statement that, that the Pac has more impact than uh, Jay-Z? That one's hard. Um, you know, it, it's, it's really tricky. Certainly 10 years ago um, or... 15 i would say that all day long i think that that jay continues to shape culture but i think he's doing it in a very different way now i mean subtleties of like you know buying back the block and and ownership and and not taking um you know complete independence things that you're not going to necessarily translate directly to jay-z they can become part of a zeitgeist of ideas whereas tupac's representation while it was that I think just the way information traveled in the 90s when Pac was reigning, you could look and say, okay, Thug Life or this style, I'm going to trace it directly to Pac. I think they're very close and I'm not taking an easy way out, but I don't know that I could say um, definitively one or the other. Well, let me ask you this. So Jay said, I'm not a businessman, I'm a businessman. Would you say that Jay-Z has had more impact as a an artist or as a businessman at this point? I believe he's had more impact as a businessman. Yeah, I, th I think if, if you separate it and just yeah. make it purely about the music, I think Pac wins that one. You know, I, I think Jay part. And again, so going back to the Billboard criteria, business influence is not one of them. Um, you know, it says cultural impact. Uh, um, 
it's a cultural impact, but that's how the artists work, work foster the genre's evolution. There is nothing about business here. So um, if you say that, then, you know, does Jay still, is, is it the catalog that still puts him ahead of a pocket or, or, or what? Yeah. I mean, you raise, you raise an interesting question. I think it's because, you know, Jay is very much active. Um, you know, we see that, that influence right now, but you know, Pac, you get a, you get a really a five-year window at best, four to five years. And Jay, you look at that, um, Jay's artistry absolutely has influence. I don't know if it has the kind of influence that Tupac had, but right here and now, um, and, and let's, let's just be honest and break the fourth wall for a second it's a lot easier for a publication to give a living artist the number one spot than it is a dead one, you know, at least in hopes of, of recognition and publicity. So, I mean, that's kind of my answer. I, I, I recently, you know, was playing that Madison square garden freestyle with, you know, big daddy Kane and Shaheem and Biggie and Pac. And, um, you know, Biggie has the better verse in my opinion, you know, in terms of emceeing, you know, MC Hammer and them 350s, you know, like that whole thing is like, that is a commanding rap performance. And Pac comes in and he's just pissing vinegar. And, you know, I think the Lord from like, he comes in and it's not necessarily MC stuff, but it's guttural. It sticks to your heart. And you listen to the crowd in New York City, the way they go from Biggie to Pac. And Pac was obviously a little bit more established at that time. And you can hear the difference of impact in that moment. And although we're talking about Jay-Z and Pac, I'm, I'm wondering if Jay-Z can get people up out of their seat that same way with that kind of sweat and passion that Tupac did because of Jay, you know, thrives in the studio, in my opinion, and as a businessman, to your point. Well, allow me to reintroduce myself. <laughs> I will tell you that I was at a show it was Dave Chappelle and the Roots at Radio City Music Hall and special guests. And about two hours into the show, you heard, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, and then like Hope comes out and dude, it was like someone let off a bomb in the place. It was just an explosion. Everybody up on their feet, absolutely losing their minds to that song, you know? So, you know, Jay has those moments. I don't know if it's about his stage presence, but like his records evoke that kind of power. Yeah. Yeah. And that, as I said that, that song, that idea was playing in the back of my head, you know, because even from the moment, the very first time I heard the Black Album on a, the day it released on a drive to Baltimore, that song I thought of, this is, this is going to be Jay's anthem, like something about that production, something about his words, his confidence, it being short, no BS. Um, yeah. That is one of the few songs in life where I remember exactly where I was the moment I first heard it. Yeah, absolutely. Just is that your favorite Jay-Z song? Oh man, there's so many. Uh, uh, there's so many, uh, Dear Summer is probably my favorite, but, uh, but that one is up there. It's up there for sure. Same on both, by the way. Yeah. That's, that's a good call. Oh, Lord, that's crazy. All right, so let's move on then. So so uh, Melly Mel's words were not just reserved for Jay-Z. He also had words for Kendrick. Um, on Kendrick, he said, obviously he makes some great songs, but those songs don't translate into the street part of hip-hop. I don't know what records he made like that. I might know one or two of them, but I don't think you even hear Kendrick in a club like that. He called Kendrick a new rapper and questioned his impact. He said, nobody wants to rap like Kendrick Lamar. Nobody wants to rap like Eminem, he continued. A lot of people want to rap like Pac and Biggie. 
The only thing I know for sure is I was the first great rapper. Um, mm. And so he said that, okay, so he said that Kendrick songs don't translate into the, 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 the part of the street part of hip hop. I mean, that part I disagree with strongly, you know, um, Kendrick was literally of that culture when he made Section 80 and Good Kid, Mad City. Like he and Pepper Butterfly was about his escaping that and feeling guilty about not being part of it. So, you know, I'm not sure what he means about the street part of hip hop, you know, maybe like the, in the club like that. And that might be true, but you put on Backstreet Freestyle, um, you know, that's going to like, or DNA at this point, or Humble, that's going to get people rocking in the clubs. Um, to me, I think in this instance, he said it himself, he doesn't know Kendrick's uh, catalog like that, but I think that's a huge thing. That's a huge like uh, asterisk or caveat because to not know Kendrick's catalog is to not know like all the things that make him so impactful. Right. And then to speak on it probably wouldn't have been my move, you know. Um, and then and there's times I'll say it on this podcast that there's something I don't know a lot about. I try to just say that. And yeah, I did I'm with you. I disagree. I think Kendrick has has absolutely made some incredible songs um for the street part of hip hop. And I understand there's times where people watch the dissection of Kendrick Lamar, pun intended, and they often think it gets very academic, but I, I do not think Kendrick in any way, shape or form has deviated from the original, you know, audience that he started with. And I think that he very much brings that with him. And yeah, I think you can hear him in the club. You can hear him, you know, basketball courts, you know, barbershops, wherever. So. And then you talk about longevity, you know, so Kendrick has been around, uh, you know, I think earlier people started around 2011 with, with, with section 80 super early people were like 2007, 2008, but he really started percolating around 2011 and in 2012 is when he kind of went and was out of here with Good Kid Mad City. Yeah. So 11 or 12 years, Kendrick has been at the forefront of, of rap music. That is longer that span uh, than when, you know, Melly Mel and others were at the forefront of that era. Right. Uh, if we're saying he was 82 to like 86 or so, 87. So um, unless we're talking about just years in the game, which he can't do because he's going to have to, you know, he, he came out at a certain time. He's going to have to be 30 years before he can judge that. His longevity is up there with quite a few people. Um, but then also you talk about cultural influence and the guy, you know, the Grammys is, is one thing, but the Pulitzer Prize, when he won a Pulitzer Prize and become the first artist, non-classical or jazz in any genre, not just rap music to do that. That's gigantic. This guy is like in the White House with Obama. And um, Obama is saying that How Much a Dollar Cost is his favorite song of the year. Like that is cultural impact. So that that to me, like, um, I think I think Mel just probably wasn't as aware of that. But but, you know, I'm wondering what he would have thought, because, I mean, you agree those that's that's cultural impact. Yeah, absolutely. And I honestly, I would also venture to say that in looking at the last five or so years, a record like All Right, um, that's how we're going to remember these times, you know, um, maybe not to the degree that the message stands, that will be proven in time. But how I how I remember, you know, people taking it to the streets, people protesting, you know, the value of black lives against protesting against police brutality, that is an anthem. Um, that's as big of an anthem as I can think of. 
And yeah, Kendrick has that kind of cultural impact all day. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. That is a huge, huge cultural uh, factor. So that one, that one to me, like I, I couldn't co-sign any of that one, you know. Um, you want to talk about what he was saying about Eminem? Yeah, ask the white guy to do it. I get it. Um, <laughs> so so uh, Mel, Mel spoke about M and he makes a point, and this is not the first artist we've seen make this point, um, but I'm quoting Mel now. He said, so Eminem, if he was another brother, like all the rest of us, would he be top five on that list when a brother could rhyme just as good as him as is 35, meaning the number 35 ranking that had records and all that? He's 35. He's white. I guess he means age. Mel continued, and anybody could be as mad. They could feel how they want to feel. If you don't think that race plays a part in the equation of how great he is, I heard one of the dudes that he's down with, and he means Royce the 5'9", or one of those guys. I heard he's just as good as Eminem. Why isn't he as big as Eminem? Because he's black. Ain't none of that ish hard to figure out. Eminem gets a top spot because he's white. So... You know, this is like you said, this is a recurring theme about Eminem. And, you know, it, I think it's very hard for people to have like uh, to to say two things that are, are, are both true. Um, you know, so Eminem, I do believe, has benefited from being white and his popularity is greater because he's white. And this is historic. We've seen this with the Beastie Boys over Run DMC, even though Run DMC was writing the lion's share of their rhymes. Um, Post Malone. Post Malone. We saw it with Elvis over Chuck Berry, uh, you know, Justin Timberlake and Backstreet Boys over like New Edition. Uh, dude, like it, it just happens again and again and again. That is, you know, systemic. It, it is what it is. Vanilla Ice is part of the game. That is true. I, I think anyone who denies that is disingenuous or like uh, ignorant to what 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 happens in the world. That said, Eminem is also one of the most supremely gifted lyricists to ever pick up a microphone. Just look at Lose Yourself. And, you know, we talked about how um, in the early days, people rhymed one syllables, like, you know, Melly Mel, like generally rhymed one syllable. Um, Kane and Rakim expanded that to three syllables. So multisyllabic rhyme, they'd rhyme three syllables at a time. If you listen to Lose Yourself or, or look at the lyrics, this dude rhymes entire sentences uh, throughout the song. It is is truly insane um, what he is able to do. He's a savant. Am I saying he's the only person that can do that? No, uh, but he's done it on a consistent basis. He's done it at the highest level. And he's also done it in a um, pop format that wasn't accepting, even though he's white, of densely constructed lyricism like that so he had to transcend that as well on top of it he had to establish himself in a world where being white was not looked upon so well you know and he had to like fight a lot of those factors he had dr dre in his corner which is huge that that cosign was massive for him but i think to say that um m is only great because he's white or even that is the majority of the reason why he's where he is 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 not accurate yeah i mean i would agree i don't know that i think that eminem had a harder road i'll never really believe that i think i think the world was you know prepared for that kind of an artist especially with somebody like dr dre behind him and the interscope machine 
which had already, you know, delivered superstars and Snoop Dogg and, you know, helped take Tupac to a new level earlier that decade. But the thing that I always say is, you know, in the late 90s, you could hear um, my name is and Real Slim Shady on rock radio. You were not hearing. I mean, even to use um, Mel's point, like I've never heard Royce the Five Nine, a solo song on rock radio. I've never seen him get that kind of push. And I do think that Royce the Five Nine is a top notch MC. I do. Um, but I, I think the discrediting of M is unfounded here. I think Eminem and I in particular have been um, very, very tepid on a lot of M stuff over the last um even even into relapse recovery, like that music was not my favorite. I did not like M leaning into those type of Alex the Kid and Rihanna records. I, I was very much a huge fan of M's first three or four albums, but I would not take anything away from him. And I don't have a problem, personally speaking, with his placement on the list at number five. Yeah, you know, when I was saying he had a harder time, I'm talking about in the days before anyone knows him having sure. to go to clubs those, where he's the only white person there and getting clowned because he's like a white dude on the mic. Like, I mean, those eight mile days, the entire eight mile movie, right? Like oh. um, for sure. Once he got put on like doors open much, much faster and easier for him. Um, you know, and to your point, I agree with that too. Like we've talked about other MCs when they were at their peak powers for me, Eminem's run was really, from 99 until about 2004 or so, you know, um, and then he had a resurgence in 2010, 2010, when um, Relapse was the album, right? Um, came it was out. Re Relapse was on nine, Recovery was 10. So Relapse was the, the one where he, I'm not afraid, is that, or was that? I believe that's Recovery. Relapse was the real dark one with Recovery. Um, recovery is the where he had a resurgence, so Recovery, yeah. yeah. Um and then since then, so he had like, you know, a five or six year run at his peak powers in terms of like, you know, impact. But man, what a what a run it was. Um, and if, and again, going back to the billboard criteria, um, you know, in terms of sales and certifications that, you know, only Drake and, and Jay are in that echelon. So that that puts him very, very high on the list. Um, but you got anything else to say about him? Not on him, no. There's one other artist, obviously, that Mel was um, critical of as it pertains to the list, and it was Lil Wayne. And do you want to talk about what Mel said about Wheezy F, baby? Yeah, you know, he said about Wayne, uh, we don't even know his voice. How could you know how? Um, and he said, if his voice is on auto-tune, was something wrong with his voice for them to put the auto-tune on his voice? Or is it just something that they did in the studio to give it that rawness? But But how could you know? To me, this is another another one like Kendrick. You know, um, there's so much Wayne catalog with. There's way more Wayne catalog without autotune than with autotune. And this guy is um, just a monster lyricist. And you know, Wayne has never been kind of in my top ten. Like, uh, yeah, I, I respect his style and appreciate it for what it is, but it's not what has resonated with me. But I would never take anything away from him and recognize that he is one of the most influential. I mean, you talk about influence, like think about all the face tattoos that have evolved, you know, post Lil Wayne. Um, think about like the punchlines. And, you know, this guy is one of the few artists to have had a peak, you know, in 99, 2000 or so in his early cash money days with, you know, the hot boys and, and all that. And then, kind of like taper off but then come back and be even bigger than he was before like 
he's one of the few people to ever have a comeback period ll being you know one of the first even though he didn't call it that and but to do it at at a level that was even bigger than he ever was was incredible so i think this one you know he didn't make this uh caveat but but i would assume that he doesn't know um wayne's catalog like that if he if he if he doesn't know his, his voice but what do you think yeah i mean when i think of little wayne i don't think of auto-tune i think you know if you want to make that criticism on t-pain maybe you know or or but wayne to me um is a lot of things but when i think of when i look at number seven on the billboard list and i look at wayne's impact I'm hearing a Millie Little Wayne. I'm hearing, um, you know, just just those type of duffel bag boy. Like I'm hearing those records when Wayne was on top, and I've seen Wayne in concert. Um, I don't think he's to the level of Busta, somewhere between Busta and Jay in the times that I've seen him. But that part doesn't even matter. I do think that I think when it applies to Kendrick M and Wayne, um, Mel's point gets a little bit lost in the in the weeds. Yeah. So we've had this conversation before um, about these lists and whether or not they matter, first of all, and does it matter from whose perspective they're coming? So, you know, journalists, we know how, how the sausage is made, right? You know, uh, at best, it's a committee of five, maybe 10 people, um, you know, deciding the impact, you know, and who knows what the diversity is in terms of their uh, breadth of knowledge, how long they've been in it, like, you know, all that stuff that, that factors into these kind of decisions. Um, you know, we have personally facilitated conversations amongst millions of fans so that they could, we could have the biggest data pool possible to, to make those decisions. Um, let's do the flip side though. Um, does it, an opinion matter more if it's from a legend like a Melly Mel, then it would from someone else. You mean just on these rankings? Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, the opinion, it's always curious. It's same as like a post-game interview with an athlete. Like I'm always curious of how somebody who you and I feel was underrated on a list like that thinks. Do I care what they think of other artists? I care more about, you know, the fact that Mel, you know, makes that, quote about Busta Rhymes of just being a working class MC that goes to work, does his job, you know, puts his helmet on. That's what I walk away with more than um, hearing his arguably detractive comments about Kendrick M. Like that stuff doesn't mean as much to me. And in this case, unless it's something that I find to be um, very astute or something I didn't realize, which isn't the case for those three artists, it doesn't really mean much to me. But what about you? Yeah, you know, I pay attention more because it's someone that I know and respect. Um, I think in a lot of ways, um, and this just doesn't apply to Melly Mel, but but everyone, like really, uh, like an artist's opinion about uh, other artists is is not going to be the most objective because if you're on this list, then you should think that you're the best, and you know it doesn't matter what where everyone else is, and so you're not going to be objective about it anyway. You know, I think some some people can be more objective in those scenarios and others but i would venture to say that probably everybody on that list thinks they're number one you know yeah. or, should be, or should be higher than what they were um you know so but but then but artists are people too we know this we, we've worked with lots of artists and um artists have their thoughts and their biases just like everyone else so i don't know it makes me pay attention because he is a legend and he is who he is to me but um i don't know that it would make it would sway my opinion yeah, I 
I think we're saying the same thing. One thing I will say in this very important year for hip hop, I hope that we see Melly Mel's name in the headlines as much in the months to come as we have for this. Um, and that's just holding the culture accountable. You know, publications out here can get clicks, you can get video views, you can frame things this way. But when we look at hip hop's evolution and impact, give Mel his moment because, and it's bigger than the message, it's bigger than, but like, the, you know, this man is is something special and he's still a phenomenal performer. And, you know, not that long ago, he popped up on a Macklemore song that also performed at the VMAs. And I would say that his his rhyme delivery is 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 still very strong you know so i hope when we're looking at pioneers and i feel like a lot of these pioneers are just trying to figure out how this year will honor them give mel his moment give this man his flowers absolutely 100 and again my original goat uh you know and i think a person i think it's hard to argue there's any mc who is more influential than melly mel given that he uh birthed so much of this stuff and and in terms of like the the rap that i gravitate toward um yeah yeah i hope he gets i hope he gets that shine too ha <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh speaking of top five uh an mc who proclaims himself top five doa jadakus uh was in the news this week too and you know going back to that consciousness and the subject matter being important Jada weighed in on something that was, I think, uh, very powerful. You, you want to break it down? Yeah. So Kiss appeared on the um, I Am Athlete podcast, which is is really cool. You know, I, I see them continue to make noise. It was founded by Brandon Marshall. Pac-Man Jones is part of it. Chad Ochocinco Johnson, et cetera. And this is what Jada had to say. Record labels are being successful off nonsense. Somebody went out and did something stupid, recorded a song about it, and then was able to get a lot of streams. And that became a thing with the whole drill scene. They actually going out, getting active, doing the stuff, then go to the studio and make a song about why they just did that. That should get nipped in the bud as soon as it got created. But nobody's going in these labels and saying they're wrong for this. We're just blaming it on the kids. So like my brother said, he he don't like to just go put all the blame on these young artists because the radio stations are making them top songs off the playlist, top songs of the playlist, and the labels are still signing them. They've even got it. They're putting out life insurance on these young kids now. Others were surprised at the, yeah. Um, that's really what, Ki what Kiss is saying about how labels are, um, and to be clear, what he's talking about, there's a lot of music out there um, that has songs that are direct references to um, sometimes shootings, sometimes fatalities and murders in the street, songs about it with cryptic lyrics and not so cryptic lyrics. And it's going to the top of the game, um, top of the pile and labels. I think both major and independent are signing this. And when it comes time to point the finger, um, society and critics of the culture, I think are, are laying it on the artist and not the people that are funneling money and resources into it. And I'll add that we've seen this, um, you know, I think one of the best living examples of it is, is you know, Takashi 6ix9ine. Um, but there are many others. And, and you know, Jada makes the point to, to say this is the genesis of drill music. And certainly there's a lot of artists out of Chicago and out of Brooklyn and, and the UK, I'm sure, that, you know, kind of do this with their songwriting. But anything you want to add in terms of Jada's point? Yeah, for sure. I'm really glad he's raised this. It's not the first time it's been raised. You know, there are others who've done so even as recently as last year. 
Lupe Fiasco being one of them on his song on Phonem, uh, which had what we deem to be the greatest verse of the year, which is rappers die too much. He talks about the fact that uh, that record companies take out life insurance uh, policies and that Spotify is a different type of life insurance because inevitably when someone dies, their streams rise and it's a, a payoff generally to the label that, you know, often doesn't make it to the family or to the estate. So th that's facts, you know, and when you step back and think about it, historically speaking, when there were these kind of like um, tragedies that happen, like a killing or death that were in theory at the behest of music or connected with music, it used to be that people would try and sue the record labels first, because that's where the money was and the distributor and then the artists as well. They, they went after everybody. Um, you know, to date, that has been protected by the First Amendment. And it, it keeps getting questioned, you know, every 10 years or so, people make a run at it and try and change it so that rap music is somehow different than every other artistic form of expression and cannot be protected by the First Amendment. And to their credit, Supreme Court keeps rejecting this notion. We don't know. It's being questioned again now. And we're seeing rap lyrics used more and more in court, um, you know, you mentioned Takashi. It's happening with Young Thug now, and, and with Gunna, and the the Young Slime uh, life uh, cases that are going on now. But more and more, you see the press kind of stepping away, and other people stepping away from the narrative that hey, this isn't just one person putting this out. Um, you know, none of these artists are independent. This is a record label that is profiting from it, and there is an opportunity. Record companies stop music all the time that they don't want put out. They don't think it's a hit. They don't think it's catchy. They don't think, uh, you know, it's something that is offensive to a, a particular group of people. There's no reason why you can't say this is something that's dangerous and we're not going to support it with our money and, and promote it. But a lot of times you see the, the opposite. You see the most nihilistic music possible. And it's not just about violence. It's also about unfettered drug use and, um, you know, committing crimes and, and other things that are super detrimental that are at the top of the charts and the top of the, the playlists on, on DSP. So there's something going on. It makes money. You know, if it bleeds, it leads. And that's across the board for, uh, for film, for news, for, you know, articles, whatever it is. So I don't I guess music should be any different, but I think Jada's point is a big one, given that the, you know, you don't see criticism of filmmakers for, John Wick, and you don't see or, or Keanu Reeves for being in that film uh, when when someone is killed in a, in a school or something like that. Why is it that these artists are being singled out? It's really interesting. I mean, one of the things that I've done, especially over the last fifteen years, is a lot of artist bios, and the it's funny for as much as the the, the artists that you and I cover on this platform and through Ambrosia for Heads, oftentimes the 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 bios that I will do labels um hire me and those artists make a very different type of hip-hop and oftentimes i'm speaking to you know 17 18 19 early 20 year old artists um that are coming from places like memphis and chicago and um the bay area and what is the way to get on attention and how do you get attention you can you know one of the ways is to say something controversial and from you know Pac and biggie to mc shan and krs1 the idea of saying something about somebody is a great way to make somebody tune in. And when I'm speaking to these guys, you know, many, most cases, guys, I'm always like, yo, whatever you did to get attention, you know, 
now is the time that you have system around you. Don't do that anymore. Like my little, my little free coaching. Um, and it always saddens me because a lot of the artists that I've worked with have sadly been, been, you know, and, and I won't go into to whom, but there's at least 10 artists whose bios I've done that are no longer here. And it really saddens me that there is a, there is a flame there. And in some cases, they might work for just a distributor that boom, the album's done, put it out. There's no input. And in those cases, I can't really say that Jada's point necessarily holds up, but I think the larger point he's making and the one that does hold up is in a case where there are A&Rs and label people that are leaning into these controversies to do just that. And I love the life insurance policy comment. I, um, I was offered a job exactly 10 years ago and the person offering me the job wanted to take a life insurance policy out on me. Wow. And yeah, yeah. In, yeah. in Philadelphia. And I walked away and, and never, I, I, I sent my decline, you know, decline offer. And it wasn't, it wasn't in the music industry, but I was so turned off with that notion. And I don't know if you've watched it, but you know, um, HBO and Netflix have the, you know, the docu-series on the Murdoch trial that just played out. And one of the, the issues, one of the incidents is about a housekeeper that had a life insurance policy that paid into somebody who received millions of dollars that never went to her family. And when I watched that, I counted my blessings that I never signed anything like that. So the fact that these artists that are from, you know, often impoverished and marginalized communities, Jada's point is, is, a, is a real one. And I hope it holds the powers that be that are involved in amplifying these messages accountable. Word. So on, on, on the same note about content and music, um, let me ask you a question. So when you're alone in your car or in your home and rapping, do yeah. you use, do you use the N word? Absolutely not. I, you've, <laughs> for those <laughs> listening and viewing, not a year goes by where Reggie <laughs> usually in a moment where we're celebrating and, you know, there might be a, a happy hour involved of some kind. Reggie will ask me as uh as the you know as the melanin deficient uh, <laughs> friend if i've used the word and and there are there's many words that i've uh i've used that i wish i hadn't but i've never used that word um and i don't sing it you know <laughs> a or er and um you won't you won't find receipts of of me doing that so no it, even as i read these quotes for this podcast i'm always worried because sometimes in the quotes they're blocked and you'll hear me say brother or friend or yeah, comrade, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no one is saying brother in these quotes. So I'll just no. put that on the record. But uh, I ask you, man, because uh, and the reason why uh, is because so I just went to the J.I.D. concert last week. Right. It's J.I.D. and Smino. Fantastic concert. J.I.D.'s energy is off the charts. Um, he's a superstar. I think he's out of there. Is a terminal five. He sold it out twice in uh, two nights in a row. Last person I saw with that kind of like turnout and that kind of energy in a venue like that was Kendrick. Uh, you know, he, uh, just before good, just after Good Kid, Mad City had dropped, or actually no, just before Good, good Kid, Mad City, City had dropped. And I knew that he was. It was after. It was. I knew he was out of here. Mm -hmm. And I think the same thing is happening for Jid. But I'm looking around and I would say that the crowd was probably 90% white. It was one of the less diverse shows I've seen in New York City in quite some time. And not just rap either, right? Just just in general, because these you know, New York tends to be much more diverse than other places. Uh, I talked to 
Amanda, you know, who used to work for work with us um, for quite some time, she saw the show in Colorado and the same thing. And that doesn't surprise me just because the demographics are different. But during this show, um, you know, I looked around and there were all of these um, audience members who were white saying every single word to every single song. And trust me, that word is used quite a bit in J.I.D.'s music. And it made me feel uncomfortable. Um, you know, it's like, whoa, what's going on here? It used to be that people had some decorum. You know, we, we reported on Kendrick and he, uh, a Kendrick when he shut down a fan who he brought up on stage, a white woman. In Alabama. And, yeah, Mad City, uh, uh, where you from, Ma? And she was like not censoring herself at all. Yeah. And he checked her on that, like in front of everyone, it went viral. And then he talked about it in Auntie Diaries and um, said, listen, you know, I got to think about using words that are slurs against gay people. If, 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 if I can say that, why can't this white person say the N word? You know, so there's mindfulness, at least people should know, at least from like a few years ago, that it's not cool. But dude, in the crowd, I got to tell you, it was like they were, people were just letting it rip. So, you know, do you think that things have changed? You think that um, there's more acceptance of it? You th what's going on here? I've never understood that whole phenomenon of people looking for the the pass or the justification or the jurisdiction to do that, especially, you know, people, I, what I'm referring to is people that look like me. Um, it's just the wildest thing. And, and, you know, we live in a time where you might hear that word more often in other places than lyrics, just scrolling through Instagram and listening to, you know, folks just kind of doing testimonials and all of that, but it, it's not okay. And I don't, I remember, I mean, I'm of the generation where that was the issue with juicy you know, with the, you know, the, the end of the chorus. And I remember people in my high school and middle school that would take that liberty. And I would always just be like, nah. And yeah, I know what you mean, because especially at a concert, everyone, especially with a drink in their hand or, you know, on something just feels the need to sing along. And that it makes me, I can't imagine you, but it makes me uncomfortable when the person standing in front of me or somewhere in my vicinity does that. I just cringe. Yeah, it it was it was wild, man. It was wild. Um, all right. And, well, well to, to your point yeah. though, and, and when I say other words, like I'm I'm to Kendrick's point, I'm I've been guilty of it in the past. I think of Parrish Smith's or PMD's verse on the EPMD LL Cool J joint where he drops the other F word and growing up, like rapping along to that, you know, in, in my bedroom, like you would say that word, and then over time that nah, like you know, um there's just a case of those or, you know, a host of other words that we've collectively as a culture, those of us that care about one another's feelings just put away. And yeah, I would, I would like to see that day come and I wish people took more accountability not to try to sum it up like that. You use the B word. Yeah. I mean, growing up, I did, I, I haven't for a while. And then recently, I mean, even when you're, when you're rapping though, I have, yeah. But you know, I have I have a kind of a life mentor that when I was in college um, really took set an example of like that's a word he doesn't use and it was funny recently I was um, I was talking with my fiance about somebody she knows and she was in a heated moment and I referred to that other person by that word and the minute I said it you know and I'm I'm somebody like you I love gangster rap and I I love you know free speech and I love language period 
it just didn't it didn't didn't feel good you know and i think we're all works in progress but yeah i mean even down to that it's just like that word eh, not really yes yeah, it's, it's interesting the distinctions we make you know so all right you want to talk about some new music yeah um so uh this week we had quite a few um releases Ooh. well Oh, go ahead. One, one thing that's new is yeah. not new, right? Old is the new, new. Yeah. And uh, so one of the new things is that Snoop Dogg has brought um, Death Row music back to digital service providers. So a year or so ago, when Snoop acquired the catalog for Death Row, one of the first moves he made was to take all that music off of Apple Music, Spotify, like all the, the DSPs. And, you know, at the time, uh, Snoop was very big into the metaverse. And mm -hmm. so he put a lot of that music into the metaverse and I think made like a pretty crazy amount of money in a day, uh, the day after the Super Bowl, I think, um, you know, and so, but it's been a year and he just now put it back and I I'll break this down. So it was part of a partnership with uh, Larry Jackson. Larry Jackson is a guy who has been uh, in the music industry for a long time. He started off, um, well, one of his first prominent roles was at J Records. He worked with Jennifer Hudson, um, was mentored by Clive Davis and rose to the ranks and became like a, a real superstar. He left there and was immediately scooped up by Jimmy Iovine uh, over at Interscope, worked there for quite some time. And while there, he started working on Beach Music which eventually became acquired by Apple Music. And that took Larry to Apple as the creative director, global creative director for Apple Music. Uh, he was one of the most powerful people in the music business at that point. You know, effectively, the guy who said what was what for Apple Music, uh, the second largest um, digital streaming platform only to Spotify, and uh, recently left and started his own company called Gamma. It's meant to be a new age uh, media platform that helps artists um, create more value for their intellectual property, music, videos, film, like whatever you can think of, but focused on uh, focus from a, a musical perspective. It's rumored to have received a billion dollars in funding, which is absolutely astronomical, uh, led in part by Apple Music and, and um, uh, a few others. But a billion dollars, um, you know, is like allows it to, it would probably be i think the fourth biggest record company if it was characterized in that traditional sense in the world with that kind of money um and he's got deals with uh usher uh for new music from usher who's in partnership with la reed who you know obviously helped to, to bring usher up into the game and has now got his own company hitco he's got a um, partnership with rick ross and he's also struck a partnership with Snoop, which um, not only um, allows him to monetize the Death Row catalog, but also uh, we'll get two new Snoop albums. And you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, there hasn't been specificity. Is that right? Um, but, you know, last year, uh, summertime, we got word that Snoop is, in fact, making another album with Dr. Dre. And what I kind of interpret this to mean is a Dr. Dre produced Snoop album, which the only other one that I would classify as such is Doggy Style. And very fittingly, they've referred to this one as Missionary, um, which is a, a stylish sequel. And I'm curious, because Snoop is one of the more prolific stars of rap, 
and to know that this is the best platform I would say Snoop has been on in over 20 years, you know, of, of just industry leader, having the kind of money you just spoke about, if we'll get that. And then also just based on what you said of, of Larry Jackson's history of working with Beats, of working with Apple, which in 2015 had exclusivity for Dr. Dre's Compton album. That sounds, that sounds special. And, you know, over the last year since Snoop acquired Death Row, we've heard a lot of different things of, you know, them giving, um, you know, revenue opportunities to people like Harry O that helped found the label and then were boxed out as well as folks like a homecoming, um, like the dog pound going there to release a sequel to dog food and all of that sounded fine and good. And we covered a lot of that on the site, but what good is it if there's not a way to release it in grand fashion and to give these projects the attention that they deserve. And so to see this, um, it really excites me. It excites me. And I, I look today, I mean, the Tupac catalog, uh, you know, the death row Tupac catalog never left. I believe that has returned to the estate years ago, but to this morning, see that dog food and above the rim and um, a lot of that music lady of rages album is up there is, is really interesting. One thing that I've never seen anyone report, which I find funny, just as we talk about the nuance of hip hop maturing and even down to um, what we just spoke about with Jadakiss since Snoop has acquired death row. Um, none of the music that dissed him that the label put out after he left in the late nineties and early two thousands has ever been re-released. So like what an ultimate power move. And a lot of that music, you know, just straight to stem and M it was, it was very vitriolic and, you know, definitely a departure from the glory days of the label, but isn't it funny now that Snoop owns it and basically has the power to make sure that that music doesn't prevail and, you know, neither you nor I are big on censorship, but if somebody spoke ill of me and now I own the company, <laughs> I think that's a really cool opportunity of like, nah, that's not going to live on. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's hilarious. Uh, it, it's great to have this music back. You know, I, I uh, ripped, had all these on CD and ripped them back in the day. So I've got all this stuff in digital. So I never left, lost it, but it's so much more convenient. You know, it annoys me that, um, a lot of times when things come back, they, they don't come back in the exact same form. So like G's up, um, H is down is not on it. Um, you know, we, we learned that some of the daylight catalog had to be replayed. Um, there's been, uh, I don't, the game put out a song with Anderson Pack back in the day that had a sample of Stevie Wonder's Rocket Man. It had to be um, replayed. So those kind of things happen with DSPs, but generally it's much more convenient to have everything in one place at your disposal. And so I think it's dope. I think it was a, a missed opportunity uh, or maybe, I don't know. I don't know the economics of it. He did make a, a pretty good amount of money the day after the Super Bowl snoop by putting it in the metaverse. But I wonder if if that equaled or surpassed what he would have made had that music been up after that huge, literally on the biggest stage ever. Um, but, you know, overall, I think Snoop has made some pretty crazy moves. And the other thing about Larry is that, for those who don't know, he's a real steward of the culture. He's the guy who, uh, you know, when Versus was just getting started on Instagram, brought it to Apple Music and put it on a much bigger platform at a much higher production value and, you know, really kind of supercharged that, that, uh, that platform. One question I have for you. And this is just kind of a technologically and industry trends expert, or at least one that I consider. So, you know, in the mid 2000s, 2000 teens, we saw a lot of exclusivity. You know, Jay's catalog was only on title. 
Drake might release an album that was only on, you know, Apple Music. I think there were Spotify, tons of Spotify exclusives. With this, um, you know, and what a record label or a media platform means in 2023, do you see the days of platform exclusivity, whether Windows or outright, being the case again? I don't. I think because people have learned their lesson. I mean, this has been tried um, over and over again, too. It used to be that that um, the the record companies in the early 2000s had their own digital music services back then. They had Press Play, and I forget what the other one was, but um, it, one was basically Sony and UMG, and the other one was like, you know, I think Warner and EMI and whoever, like, I can't remember the exact divisions. But anytime you make things more difficult for consumers, it's a bad business, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, And so hopefully people have learned that. I know after a while, sometimes money like transcends like uh, delivering the best consumer experience. But I would hope that by now that people have seen that that's just not great. And especially in a time where we're entering a recession and, you know, inflation and stuff like that. You know, people are like cutting streaming services and like they'll watch their show and then like cut it and then switch to another one and binge another show and so forth. So it's not going to promote anything except people moving around. Uh, it's not going to get people to like um, subscribe to something else in lieu of, of the other things. So, yeah, absolutely. So we started talking about new music before we get there. Is there anything else you wanted to cover? Not uh, well, I will say, you know, we, we mentioned De La Soul. We've talked about them on a couple of occasions in the last month. Uh, they officially did launch on DSPs um, about a week ago. Um, I was privileged enough to go to an event for them, which is both a celebration of De La Soul hitting streaming platforms, but also of True Goy, of Dave and his life and legacy. And it was absolutely phenomenal. Um, you can look on our Instagram and find some of the footage, but you know, on stage you had Moni Love, uh, Busta, Queen Latifah, Drez, uh, Dave Chappelle, Black Thought, Chuck D, Q-Tip. Um, you know, all these people. And then I'm sure I'm forgetting ton, uh, Pharaoh Monch. Black Talib, Thought, Diamond Talib D, Kuali. Lord Finesse. Yeah, yeah Talib Kweli. And most of them rhymed too, um, you know, and did freestyles or, you know, like off the top versus whatever. It was absolutely incredible. And then, of course, you know, um, Dave and, or uh, Pasta News and Maceo showed up too. And um, they did like um, probably like 10 De La songs. And, um, they also announced very, very explicitly that De La Soul will continue. You know, um, they think that that's what Dave would have wanted. They said Dave was there with them that night. You know, you can kind of feel the spirit. And so it felt like I hadn't been in a hip hop moment like that in a long, long, long time. They dropped balloons from the, the ceiling. I got a Daisy uh, balloon like in my other room, like got a t-shirt like it, it was a special hip-hop moment so i just wanted to shout that out too that's dope man i wanted to be there it was two hours away and there was going to be traffic and you know I, I did tune in and watch it like a lot of folks did on you know through amazon music but uh man it looked like it had to be their moment i, I have my regrets now yeah no it was incredible incredible um oh so a couple other quick things on on uh death row um so DJ Quick talked about, um, he talked about, 
what it was like working at death row. And he said it was really traumatic. He said sometimes it was cool and then it just became the streets. You know, all the stuff I got away from, all the gang banging and all that just met me right there head on at the office. It was hood-ish. And you had to kind of be hood to deal with it because they were there in there. Uh, them brothers was detecting fear. They just wanted to see if you were scared, make you feel some kind of way. Uh, and then he said, but just the ego of the boss, meaning should, you know, you never wanted to get on nobody's bad side. It was just like walking on eggshells all the time, a bunch of anxiety, a bunch of nervousness, a bunch of people in there playing like they tough just so they don't get punked. That wasn't it. That was really, it was really interesting to hear him talk about it in such vivid detail. We've heard these stories about death row many, many times. Um, Quick was one of the people who was there, you know, during the making of The Chronic, during the making of All Eyes on Me and Doggy Style and all these like iconic albums. So to hear him talk about it. And it reminded me of something that MC8 had said on DJ Vlad about Tupac. You know, he said, you know, he talked about Tupac and Tupac never having been affiliated with a gang before death row and how going to death row and, and getting involved in that likely led to his demise. And he said, he said about Tupac, he felt like he was representing. He felt like because I'm associating myself with these dudes and I'm associating myself with the mob and I'm yelling it on records and after get the rap game, this is the, the mob MLB. This is MLB. He wanted to show that he really wanted to be loyal to them. I get it, but there's certain things you just don't do to want to be to want to belong, especially as a grown man, people are going to accept you for who you are. If you're just a rapper, you're just a rapper. When you get in that world, brothers don't give a f if you got a gold record or a chain or your name is Tupac, and you've been in the movies with Janet Jackson or whatever. These are the streets. These streets have been here before rap music came along, and they're going to be here after. To me, it's a hard road because there was some of those situations that he should have avoided. Game banging is going backwards, especially if you started on another path. That was um, interesting for me to kind of connect those two um, because I've long thought that um, a lot of Tupac's, you could, you could just see it, like Tupac on Me Against the World, and especially that Vibe magazine article, I think it was Kevin Powell when he was in prison. He was philosophical. He was, you know, introspective. He was you know, thinking, reflecting on life, he had songs like Dear Mama and um, and So Many Tears. Like he was in a very different headspace than when he got to death row. You could hear it in the substance of the music. It was about banging and like, you know, super aggressive toward Biggie and like all this stuff. And I always thought that it was a product of the environment that he was in, but it was interesting to hear those two kind of like uh, come together and, 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 you know, no less uh, DJ Quick and MC8 who had their own history kind of connecting those dots. Yeah. And I mean, that beef really amplified when, you know, Suge entered the quick, the picture for quick and really started managing him in second and none for the safe and sound album. And that's where things got crazy. And yeah, reading, reading that quote, I mean, right behind me is, um, you know, framed cover story I did for the Pittsburgh post. Cause that was Sam Sneed. And, you know, Sam is from McKeesport, which is, you know, a, a city kind of adjacent to Pittsburgh and growing up, to watch somebody from Pittsburgh where I grew up have a hit with you better recognize featuring Dr. Dre was insane. And, you know, in that article, Sam spoke about the board meeting where, you know, for stuff that, you know, he kind of showed up for music and for other reasons, you know, he was attacked and that, and, and one of the things I've always admired about quick is he's of, you know, he's, he's from, 
you know, the neighborhood of the treetop, you know, Piru neighborhood in Compton and grew up with Suge and all these guys. But Quick is a musician. Like you watch him and you listen to his music. You know that music comes first. And, you know, and, and he hung on as long as he could. I think after Suge gets incarcerated, Quick is there. But it didn't, you know, he ultimately had to had to leave and went on to make, you know, Rhythmalism and uh, uh, Balance and Options, which I consider to be two of Quick's best albums. And he became a figure from those streets that then pivoted and, and made all this um, just kind of more grown up music. And Quick is still here. And a lot of those figures that I think were causing problems in and around death row are, are not making music anymore. Not even here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, cool. So you want to get into, so speaking of death row, uh, you want to get into um, some of the new music? Absolutely, man. So the DOC released arguably um, his first verse in nearly 20 years. And, you know, to set the context with the transition you just made, the DOC was one of the artists that jumped from Ruthless to death row. Um, and it wasn't long after his car accident, I believe in 1990. And at that time, you know, folks were going to see if DOC's voice was going to come back, how that was going to play out, and certainly recognized him as a leader in rap and a phenomenal songwriter. And, you know, from the very first video that I associate with the chronic, you know, the beginning of nothing but a G thing, the DOC's the third guy riding in Dre's 64 Impala. Um, goes on to work with the label but we've learned in recent years um oh so the the name of his uh song is fast ones with a group called the co-defendants and um so it's a rap rock mashup i believe the co-defendants have a no fx tie of some kind for those that that follow that kind of subset of rock but um yeah it's it's really interesting to see and it's it's the latest in a kind of a comeback journey for the doc um you want to talk about his verse a little bit yeah, so the song came out in June of 2022, and uh, it was just a song, but they just released a video this week, premiered on Hip Hop DX, and uh, it's really powerful to see the DLC. He's, uh, you know, arguing before a jury in a court, and, you know, he his, his wordplay is, he qu clearly has not lost a step. It's, it's powerful, it's substantive, it's clever. You know, he said... We used to say after coppers on ayahuasca, all I want is knockers and poppers to keep it popping. I've been living so off balance that ever, even down in uh, drownings of effing challenge. Violence every day, this ain't Fantasy Island. Brothers Wildin. I was in it when it used to be attitudes. So now you get that brothers uh, reference there. And he said, now it's just a menstrual, black fist, black fools, clowns, and blackface. Uh, so that's my my guy like clowning right now in the background there. Uh, but yeah, uh, so so, yeah, I mean, dude's wordplay is absolutely incredible. Um, and he he does it in his voice. Right. He doesn't try and mask his voice. We've seen videos in the last few years of him talking kind of over his register in order to like have a more um, normal sounding voice. But, you know, supposedly. He did this in one take. The guy heard it and was completely fine with it and was like, listen, now we want it raw. So it's in full raspiness. And um, he is unashamed and is unapologetic. And it, it sounds really, really dope. Yeah. And I mean, he told DX that he's been recording for 20 years, just been holding a lot of those records to himself. 
Um, and yeah, I would say that this is a step of courage. And in, in recent years, we've seen the DOC appear in some places. Um, you know, he was on a Bishop Lamont song and and, and dropped um, what I would consider a verse. He appeared, um, you know, a, a few different spots, but we've seen him like, you know, in the 20 sack pyramid on the chronic where he's he's been interludes and spoken on stuff. But he demonstrated on video, like you said, that he could not only, um, you know, vo vocalize, but he could sing. I think that's what he said is how he realized he could get his voice is by singing along to something. He realized that the larynx, if I'm being correct, could project. And I think it's really cool. And I, I do believe um, we're approaching a true comeback season for the DOC. And it might not look like um, there's there goes my guy. It might not look like we remember, but there's a documentary on him that's actually just called the DOC that um, screened at Tribeca last year. And um, Variety recently reported that it's been picked up by a production company for this year. Um, and that, I mean, there have been past documentaries on Warren G and Bushwick Bill and kind of some, some unsung heroes of hip hop. And I always have maintained that the DOC story for anybody aware um, needs to be told he was also in that that lakers series on hbo he was um he he, he kind of played himself in it a little bit you watched that right yeah, yeah 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 for sure so i think that this will um certainly be something special um anything you want to add about about uh tracy curry nah i think uh it was really exciting to see um and great to see that he still got he still got that that touch, still got the formula. So. Still got the formula. Yeah, yeah. nicely done. So yeah. in the way of new music, um, came out last week. We did not tape an episode last week, but the Creed 3 soundtrack, um, the latest in a top label doing a whole soundtrack and really using it um, to showcase its whole roster. And I think the most recent example of this kind of comeback phenomenon is obviously Black Panther, which went to number one you know, all over the Grammys, um, just a, a massive moment back in 2018. Um, and now this time with Creed Done by 3, Done by done by, oh, yeah. Top yeah. Dog Entertainment and overseen by Top Dog and Kendrick at the time. I mean, just just phenomenal stuff. Um, and this time it's with Dreamville and Creed 3, the latest film and what I'll still call the Rocky franchise. And this one's interesting. I mean, you and I have have spoken a lot about you know, just kind of a, a competitive spirited rivalry of excellence between TDE and Dreamville and how both of those artists um, are showcasing their depth and their range. And I really like I listened to it again uh, once yesterday and once today. I'm really appreciating this um, this this soundtrack. And, and with Dreamville's case, you know, they've had the Revenge of the Dreamers series. They've often had even what I would say more outlets than TDE to kind of show their their not, I won't even say they're benches because everybody at Dreamville that I can think of puts out a project, um, maybe with the exception of Omen, but really just how talented they are. And this one, you know, from R&B to hip hop to some different things, it shows all the range. Um, but anything you want to add to just instant takeaways on this album? Yeah, I mean, so one, I want I do want to have the debate about, you know, because we always talk about TDE versus Dreamville, about which one was the better product between Black Panther and this soundtrack. Uh, but two, you had put a point in here that I think is worth calling out, because I was thinking about something similar as I was listening to it this morning, which is that Reason is on this project. And Reason has been was on uh, Re Revenge of the Dreamers 3 and has been on a number of projects with Dreamville artists. 
I'd have to go back and look, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was on as many or more Dreamville songs as he is with, with TDE. And I was thinking literally today, man, Reason seems almost more like a Dreamville artist than a, than a TDE artist in, in some ways. Um, and I was and I was thinking, why is that? You know, part of it is because, you know, he came he was second generation TDE, you know, mm-hmm. or, or third generation, you know, really Kendrick. Um, Q, J-Rock, and Soul were first generation. Then you had like Isaiah and SZA come in. And then you had like, uh, um, you know, Sir and um, Ray Vaughn and, and, and some other folks. Lance Skywalker, and, yeah. Lance Skywalker, yeah. And so like, and, and Reason comes in even after that. And so, you know, he's probably, I would think, younger than a lot of the, the artists there too. And um, he's probably around Jid's age and Lute and Omen, um, he has collaborated with them in that intensive environment with, you know, the Revenge of the Dreamers, um, you know, collaborations. So I'm sure there's a real kinship there. Um, And uh, whatever it is, it sounds great. But I thought this was a great project front to back, man. Um, One of the better ones to release in 2023. Um, There isn't a breakout song like uh, All the Stars with Kendrick and SZA, which was just a, a monster smash hit. Yeah. But man, Jay-Z, uh, J, J. Cole blacks out on the Adonis interlude. Um, the song with Reason, Cause, and Loot is incredible to me. Burning Bridges, yeah. Burning Bridges. Uh, my boy with J.I.D. And um, and uh, that's with Loot also, right? Um, I believe so. Is, uh, is incredible. Ari Linux has got some great songs in there. Um Man, it's just a great project. I think it's a really good project. Yeah, I mean, to your point about reason, the thing that I've asked myself is there's times where we've seen an artist that's part of maybe a different movement or a different label, like work a lot. You know, I think of like Little Kim and, and Bad Boy or even coming off of what we just said about Quick, like Quick never put an album out on Death Row, but he started really kind of messing with them, even though he had his own thing going on with like High C and Second and None and AMG in them. But what's wild about Reason is, you know, Reason is from Carson. And I don't think there's an artist on Dreamville that's from Carson. It's almost like those those Revenge of the Dreamers three sessions, something clicked. And he was just like, yo, I really like being around you guys. Maybe like you said, it's age or just common interests. But it's it's really interesting. And, you know, there's never been um, there's, you know, certainly not a beef. And the rivalry I think of is is just purely steel sharp and steel. But it's so interesting to see an artist like that um, on TDE just work so often with with Dreamville. And it's really cool to see one of my favorite songs um, is Culture, which opens the album. And that's Reason and, and King Mez, who now just goes by Mez. I also really liked um, Headhunters with Westside Boogie and Cause. And Cause is one of those guys that I feel like you'll hear me sing Lutz praises a lot. Cause is, is really, and he is a West Coast artists just super deserving and we've had the chance to support him a lot over the years on afh but yeah this one i'll level with you like i haven't seen the movie yet obviously i caught the adonis reference to the movie on cole's song but i think what's brilliant about it is um like all good hip-hop soundtracks there's elements that carry about the movie or about the theme you know with boxing imagery and wordplay but this is just good standalone music and um it's it's just really cool to see. Yeah, it's I did see the movie and it's not as prominently featured. There's some songs that are like uh, in fact, it's got a lot of contemporary. There's a lot of West Coast music from the early O's. Uh, it opens with a with a, um, a a song from 
2001. Um, but um, I remember in Black Panther it being more prominent, some of the music, but it, it's definitely fits. And it, I just think it's a great album. You know, I probably will end up listening to this album more than I did the Black Panther one. Mm. There's only like two or three songs in that album that really like um, I went back to and listened to over and over again. But this one, man, there's at least six or seven that I could see banging like in, in, in pretty great rotation. Um, and you mentioned Omen. I can't wait um, to to hear his project because I first thought about I first like kind of caught wind of him in the Dreamville um, Gangsta Grills mixtape as when I noticed him like starting five and a couple other songs. Oh, but yeah. man, that dude, like Dreamville can't miss, man. Every MC they have is dope. Every single one. What's interesting about Omen is I understand it. And again, what's, you know, sort of like TD, these guys aren't press chasing, you know, like J. Cole might go an entire year and do one interview or no interviews. And, you know, even J.I.D. and Boss and Earth Gang, like these guys really let the music do the speaking. But Omen... Like, I know so little about him, but he was one of the first folks that I saw associated with Cool. I think they go back like over 10 years. Like, he might have been, you know, in the first two or three Dreamville artists. I believe he's from Chicago. And what I've appreciated about, you know, watching Revenge of the Dreamers move from mixtape to a Grammy nominated album with the last one is that it, it pushes these guys along. And, you know, as we talk about Death Row coming back to the streaming platforms, you know, there were a lot of artists at the onset of Death Row, like RBX and Jewel. And, um, you know, it took Lady of Rage five years to put out an album. And in the case of Dreamville, I have to believe Omen, you know, like his product would be out there, but they they don't they don't backtrack anyone. They don't make people sit. And the, the music can be there. It can be commercially viable. Um but it's out and that's what makes like having a label fun. And I have to think, you know, when it comes to camaraderie and loyalty, these soundtracks are cool because you have budget, you have opportunity to bring everyone to get on songs together that you don't have to fit into a thematic album. That's your album. It's just really good for the music and the culture. And yes, you know, TDE and, and Dreamville have done it on really high levels. I hope this continues. I really do. Yeah, agreed. I, I think we have had a return to soundtracks in the last couple of years. You know, in the 90s, we had a, a slew of them from Boys in the Hood to Juice to Minutes of Society and like I could go on. And then we took a pretty significant pause before there were really big ones. You know, um, the TDE one with uh, Black Panther felt really big. But in the last couple of years, we had Judas and the Black Messiah. We've had this. And I know there's one other that is, is escaping me, but feels like there's a resurgence which is great yeah 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 the um i know which one you mean too um yeah yeah, yeah most definitely um the other new project that i'll talk about this week is um talib Kweli and madlib fresh off of making a black star album with yasin bay last year no fear of time which we did include in our top albums podcast and list on the site um that chemistry keeps going i mean at that time Madlib had worked with most on um, the ecstatic and I, I believe the new danger, but Talib and Madlib had worked for years too. And they had put out a 2006 album called liberation, you know, a play on both of their names. And just this last uh, week or so liberation two came out. And just like the black star album last year, it is exclusive to the luminary podcast platform where Talib and Dave Chappelle and Yasin Bey, um, you know, they have, they have, 
podcast offerings there. Um, and I, I was able to listen to this album and I think it's, it's really interesting. Um, there's, you know, the guests include Q-Tip, Rock Marciano, a posthumous verse from Mac Miller, uh, your girl, Michelle, uh, I can never say her last name. Uh, Cello. Yeah. Um, Roy Ayers, West Side Gun and, and Wild Child from Loot Pack. Um, and, you know, for those that might, you know, want to sample the goods before subscribing, um, there is a music video out that's on YouTube that anyone can see. It's also in an Ambrosia article um, after Talib recently appeared with Bob James. It's called Best Year Ever. But in listening to this album, um, there's some really there's some goodies on here. There's a sequel to the recent West Side Gun song, Richie's Two. And that one has Rock Marciano and, of course, Talib on it. But more importantly, the one that really stuck to my ribs is called One for Biz. And that one features Q-Tip um, and Wild Child. And it references a, uh, an assortment of Biz Marquee songs. And even though Biz passed in 2021, um, it's just really interesting to hear, you know, three or four different voices from hip hop pay tribute. And, you know, I, I applaud Talib. You and I debated last year with Black Star how much it helps versus how much it hurts to be behind a paywall in an exclusive DSP. But, you know, as we talk about the important albums that are sizing up in 2023, this is definitely one of them. Yeah, man, for sure. Um, I think it's a very great musical album, like just really lush instrumentation. Uh, a cosign on one for the one for biz. I love Loop Diggers Revenge, Advi uh, which is uh, features Guapale, Advice, uh, a new artist named or an artist I had never heard of called DNE and and Pink Sifu, who we've uh, supported quite a bit on our playlist. Uh, man, it's a it's a great listen, man. And um, you know, I do fear that it will have similar challenges with widespread uh, consumption because of the the luminary uh, exclusive. You know, to the point we talked about earlier. But um, if you're a fan of Talib and um, and what he's done over the years, solo and with with uh, Yassine, I think this is a great project, a really good one. Yeah, I do too. Is there any um, other new music this week that really kind of stuck to your ribs? Nah, man. I think uh, I think I think we hit it. We hit it. Yeah. People can always check out our AFH playlist on Spotify. We keep that updated uh, just about every week. You know, it's it's rare that we we miss a week. If if it's not the case, it's because nothing dope dropped. But uh, we've been on a tear lately with with new music. Or nothing dope that we've heard yet, because one of the things that I think is cool is you and I might catch something or hear something a little different and add it later on, which is great. And obviously, there are a ton of joints from Creed 3, at least three or four, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that's a ton to me um, that are on there. And obviously, given the exclusivity, we can't add to live. But, uh, you know, that would, would be on there if we could, for sure. Yeah, for sure. All right. So that being said, what's your song of the week? You know what, man? We spent so much time talking about West Coast hip hop. I'm going to give it. I wasn't sure where I was going with this, but I'm going to give it up to Mac 10 from West Side Connection. Um, you know, he's trying to do his thing uh, as a solo artist, kind of the way he came in. And recently him and Battlecat, who is West Coast royalty. I mean, truly one of the great producers that has been doing it for definitely 30 years but he was producing dana dane records in the early 90s like battle cat's been around forever and they put out a single together called king of chevys um this one's a lowrider song it's got that funk to it you know i'm a car guy i'm a huge west side connection fan and, and was a fan of mac's first solo album 
So I'm going to give the West Coast and Inglewood some love and say King of Chevys. What about you? That just came out, or how, how long has it been out? Well, this might maybe a month, maybe a month. But it's by it's Max been doing some press lately, and I think he's really trying to promote this record. I'll uh, I'll send it to you. I got to check that out because I'm a huge Battlecat fan too. Like I made a Battlecat um, producer playlist on Spotify. Oh damn, dope! And like, dude, he's got bangers that people don't even realize are Battlecat. Like, it, it amazing. And you know where Battlecat came in? I mean, the Dana Dane record. But fun fact: you remember those banging on wax CDs that would have like the Crips and the Bloods posing on the covers? You remember that? Yeah, yeah. Battlecat was producing, you know, for kind of just dudes from the street. Some of those records that I mean, that was like what, like 92, 93. I mean, he had already like was doing stuff with Dana Dane and that. And then all of a sudden when he we really got noticed, I feel like was um when he started working with the East Siders. But he had been putting in work forever. But that's dope. I need to I need a link to that playlist. Yeah. Uh, the East Siders G'd up like for sure. Like, I mean, like Battle Cat bangs, bangs. Yeah. I'll, send you, I'll send you that playlist for sure. Yeah, Mac Ten uh, was recently in the in the news for saying that he and Ice Cube unfortunately have not spoken in twenty years, which is wild when you think about you know West Coast Connection as a crew. They're one of the best um, you know ever from the West Coast. Uh, he didn't foreclose the option if the bag was right, but um, definitely sounds like there's some unresolved stuff there. Um, you know. Yeah, I just one thing I'll add to that is last year, you know, Ice Cube and whenever Ice whenever cube performs you know dub c is usually on stage with him um we're on the same festival it was not last year december of 21 for once upon a time in cali and mac 10 was on the same billing and that was you know peak pandemic i'm not sure that whole concert happened as planned but i believe i said on this podcast that i thought the stars were aligning for a proper west side connection reunion which we still obviously due to mac 10's comment to bootleg kev have not had so I'm putting that in the universe. That that's a special group, and I, I think a third album would be really good for the West Coast. So, and just hip hop in general. Yeah, I think there's some further aligning to do. Um, <laughs> so, mine is Burn Bridges uh, again off the Creed Three soundtrack. Uh, it's with Luke, Cause, and Reason. All of them shine on it. Production's amazing. Um, just a really soulful, like dope song. So, uh, yeah, that's it for me, man. Man, well, me and my shiny forehead that I see, we're signing off, man. It's been a really good podcast. Yeah, so man, for sure. Got some shine in there. I hope you guys enjoy it again. If if you made it this far, please hit that subscribe button. Follow us on whatever platform you desire. And let us know uh, if you like the new timing. All right. Yeah, please do. Peace. Peace.